good morning. <clears throat> it's interesting. It's, uh, we're going through this process of worship, and the message today is about worship. I thought about the song, Blessed Be the Name, and, and some of the lyrics that are in there, <clears throat> specifically for my own life and those that are, that are here today. You know, that part where it says, give and take away, and that even through this I still say, Lord, blessed be the name. It's so powerful. <clears throat> because we experience these, these different things <clears throat> through our lives where, you know, we're, <laughs> we're very open to blessing Lord, you know, saying blessed is he, and, and thank you for these blessings when, when things are being given. But when he takes away, <laughs> is that voice still clear? Well, <clears throat> I want to talk about renewal and worship today. Uh, the purpose of worship, you know, last week I was in Tennessee. I don't know if you guys have ever been to Tennessee. We were in a place called Pigeon Forge, which was really exciting. Uh, I'm going to share some of that story with you this morning. I'll share some pictures, too, um, uh, of that excitement. And we were in Pigeon Forge, and we prepared for this, this family reunion for an entire year. And we talked about it. So I got excited because I'm kind of an outdoorsy country bumpkin type guy. And I'm thinking, you know, Tennessee, Pigeon Forge, cabin in the Smoky Mountains, we're going to get away from everything. It's going to be real exciting. Well, we got in there, and we're driving towards Pigeon Forge, and we're about five minutes away. And you notice it is like four lanes on each side, and there are cars bumper to bumper, and it, there's pancake houses and marriage chapels all over the place. And it's just like I drive, maybe minus the marriage chapels. And uh, it was just packed, so I started thinking, man, has, has scenery really changed you know, for me? So we got in there, we got to the cabin. And it was beautiful. I still had this picture that we're going to be in the middle of the woods and no one was going to be around us. It was interesting. We're in this huge cabin and had these pictures beforehand and thinking it was in the middle of nowhere. So I was more in fear of saying, will my wife and my daughter be scared of snakes and, you know, flying monkeys and such. But um, <clears throat> being in the backwoods. But we weren't. We were, like, partnered up to neighbors and cabins and people were out there. So it was very safe and very good. But... Um, if you could pop up one of the first pictures. We also went white water rafting. Has anybody ever gone white water rafting? Uh, if you want a quick sensation or a thrill, go white water rafting. Uh, it's interesting, one of, one of the family members that was on the trip with us, she's not in this picture because she wasn't ready to take the picture. Um, she has said, man, I just know I'm going to fall out because that happens to be what happens to me. Well, funny enough, she's the only one that fell out during the trip. <laughs> But it was a really radical experience. Uh, this is me goofing around with my wife, obviously. Um, we met this guy named uh, Ricky Bobby. Wow, was he, a, was he a treat? Had this great southern draw. He was real fun. We were able to experience that with him. Uh, and then we went to the, uh, the pinnacle of the trip, I guess, the, the, the time of ascendment and such. Uh, Dollywood? Anybody ever went to Dollywood? Okay. <laughs> well, it was neat to experience this. Um, as I'm thinking it's, it's kind of like Disney World. We got there, and it, it was in a sense, but it was the Bible Belt. So all these places, there's little stores, Christian stores, bookstores in there. Everything was about God. It was really interesting. But we were able to go to Dollywood and experience this time. Um, through this time, I was really able to focus on some of the things that we really needed in renewal. I'm going to change this out because this is the faulty one. And through this time of renewal, we had already set our family, my wife Tyler and I, that we were going to turn off her phones and we were going to make sure that we didn't check email and we were going to pretend like we were in the middle of nowhere. And we were going to allow ourselves to renew our relationship, renew a lot of different things in our life. 
and see what God had in store for us. And it was really exciting because I really believed that maybe there wasn't going to be any difference, you know. <laughs> Day one, somebody calls my phone. I did not answer the phone. Man, that was a really tough thing for me to do. And not check my voicemail immediately to find out that I needed to call them back about maybe a trivial thing or just to check in. Emails. Wow. Now, I, I had a theory that I was going to come back with 10,000 emails that weren't checked and I was going to have to open those up. Not that many, but wow, that was really interesting to have to get back from that and, and, and experience life through God during that. So I really focused a lot on worship. I wanted to talk to you about the purpose of worship today and really teach that concept and really get in your hearts to understand more of what, how we should worship and what is the purpose of worship and ask some questions and ask some hard questions internally to our heart. Uh, because sadly enough, what we've done as a culture, or what we've done as a Christian culture in most cases, is we believe worship is singing. We believe worship is going to church on Sunday, and we've, we've trivialized it and simplified it to being just those two things. Um, you know, while worship is big enough to include these things, uh, by no means they're reduced to only lows. Does that make sense? By, own, by, by no means, they're, they're reduced to only lows. In many ways, to speak of worship is to speak of life in its fullness, live to God's glory, remember glory, and joy, because these are the things that we'll experience and individually and corporately. Uh, therefore, in my sermon today, worship, we're going to talk about comprehensive uh, biblical understanding of uh, worship and answering some of these common questions. Like The first one is... The, the, the origin, or where did worship originate? Um, there's a great book by a gentleman named Harold Best. It's called Unceasing Worship. So if you want to check this out, write it down. Uh, in his thesis, he writes, the burden of this book develops the concept of continuous outpouring as the rubric for our worship. So as God internally and externally outpours within his triune self, and as we are created in his image, it follows that we, too, are continuous outpourers and curably so. So as we studied before, God is a community of ceaseless outpouring, so infinite, continual, never-ending. Uh, although there is only one God, the three persons of the Trinity continually exist with a ceaseless outpouring of love, communication, and joy. So they continually experience this. God continually outpours love and joy and worship. So he, this, the being, the triune, is continually worshiping, ceaseless, infinite. <clears throat> as such, we are created in the image of God as well, so we continue to worship as well. But we've also learned in the fall in Genesis 3 that through sin, we have a bent towards worship. So we worship people and things other than God. Does that make sense? Subsequently, we need God to seek us out to save us from sin and free us to worship. This is summarizing best by saying, we begin with one fundamental fact about worship at this very moment, and for as long as this world endures, everybody inhibiting it is bowing down and serving something or someone, an artifact, a, a person, an institution, an idea, a spirit, or God through Christ. So everyone is being shaped thereby and is growing up towards some measure of fullness, whether of righteousness or of evil. No one is exempt, and no one can wish to be. We are, every one of us, unceasing worshipers, and will remain so forever. For eternity is an infinite exploration of one of two conditions. A surrender to the sinfulness of sin unto infinite loss, or the commitment of personal righteousness unto infinite gain. 
This is the central fact of our existence, and it drives every other fact. Within it lies the story of creation, fall, redemption, and new creation, or final loss. You see, as a Christian, when God gets glory, we get joy. When God is worshipped, he is glorified, and we are fully satisfied. With that, I want to go to our, our next thought, our next question. What, what is worship? Uh, worship is a living experience. It's, a, it's living our life individually and corporate, corporately as continuous living sacrifices to the glory of a person or a thing. So a glory, uh, glory of a person or a thing. The connection between glory and worship is clear in verses like Romans 11:36 through 12. Eleven thirty-six. To him be the glory forever. Amen. 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 Like-minded, yes, Lord, I'm with you. To him be the glory. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. So not holy and acceptable to yourself. Not holy and acceptable to culture, American culture, our culture. Not holy and acceptable to your boss. Um, not holy and acceptable to your wife or your friends or your neighbors, but holy and acceptable to God. And he finishes this by saying, this is your spiritual act of worship. So first, we hold a person or thing in a place of glory. Second, we hold worship to this person or thing. Um, third, our worship of that person or thing we hold in glory is done by means of making sacrifices. So what is worship? It's glory and sacrifice. Glory and sacrifice. A continual glorification and a sacrifice upon this glory. Um, glory means weightiness, uh, importance, preeminence, priority, uh, our greatest treasure, our de deepest passions, our deepest desires. So if there's something that you, you deeply desire and deeply passion for, this is something that you glorify. Okay, so giving a definition of glory, uh, when we use terms like glorify God or we use terms in uh, hold God up to glory and profess his name, these type of things, we really have to understand the definition of glory in its sense. It, it's our passion. You know, it's where our heart lies or where our treasure lies in a sense. Huh. <clears throat> Practically speaking, worship is making sacrifices what we are living to glorify. So the biblical word for worship is sometimes translated into sacrifice. Uh, this insight is helpful because we will make the greatest sacrifices, and these greatest sacrifices will reveal what we truly glorify and what we truly worship. So, for example, Paul writes in the New Testament um, in, in, in Philippians 3.19, he says, they are doomed and their fate is eternal misery, the perdition. Their God is their stomach. So I thought this was really cool. As I'm really writing this to myself. As I go through these studies and I, and, I, and I meditate over God's word, a lot of these things are really what I'm dealing with in my own life. And so I thought about this, and I thought it was funny how Paul would write, their God is their stomach. So I thought about this in the, in the contents of worship, and... <laughs> Food. Worship of food. So I thought about the picture of being in the store and walking through the chips aisle and 
logging packs of chips on them. You see these decorative marketing tools of how they package the, the chips, and, and you get really interested. And you look over the, the, the package of chips, and you think, oh, wow, these are crunchy. You know, they're salty. You kind of covet them, right? You, you look at them, and you get excited. Oh, wow, I want these. I love these. And you pull them off, and you take them home, and you eat them. <clears throat> so you're glorifying this. You're holding it up, and you're, you're worshiping a sense. This is desire, passion at that time. So, you know, stay with me, because this, this is kind of a simple thought. But it's a fact, and what Scripture tells us, and what Paul's trying to lighten us on, and saying, uh, God being our belly, God being our stomach. <clears throat> Comfort, continually eating this, uh, delighting in what this might be. And what do you sacrifice? Could you sacrifice uh, a healthy lifestyle? Um, you'd be sacrificing your blood pressure. You could have high blood pressure. Um, you could be sacrificing diabetes. And a lot of these different things. It could even be so bad that it ends up being a, a sacrifice for the relationships that you have in general um, and, what, and, and the way that you live that out in general, how, how your food dominates you. So food is Lord. Your stomach is God. Now, it doesn't just stop there. It plays out into to many different things. You, you know, <laughs> I think about uh, counseling and, and how we might hear sometimes individuals having issues in their home life and relational life and how that plays out and they, they stigma something. So let's, let's take alcohol. They come with a problem and saying, you know, I have a problem with alcohol. And I think we need to rephrase and say, I think it's a worship problem versus an alcohol problem, or I have a food addiction, and instead of it being an addiction to food, it being a lack of addiction to worship. So transferring that, so an alcohol being a life um, and, and, and a stronghold and a difficulty, <clears throat> that becomes a God, or that becomes a Lord. You know, where do you seek your comfort? Where do you spend your time? Where do you go to unwind? What do you love? And then the same fact, Alcohol being a difficulty, and that you're drinking it for comfort, or that you go to it and after a stressful day and retire in it so that you can be able to be re-energized. <clears throat> what do you sacrifice? You know, again, we could talk about the health factors. You could be sacrificing through health factors. You're obviously taking an opportunity to sacrifice your relationship with God, but where does it play out in your own life? Could it play out to your relationship with your wife or your husband? your children, your job. So is it Lord? Does it become Lord? Are you worshiping these things? Okay, it plays out in other things. This could be a hobby. And I thought about this boldly because I used to be really into football. I used to love Sundays because I loved football. Do you glorify it? Does it have so much weight that it separates your relationship with God in such ways that you have to have it, you covet it, you desire it, it is your passion, you live for it. Without it, you go crazy. You go into crisis instead of Christ. Here's a big one. Do you stop participating in corporate worship because you have to go to a football game? Any NASCAR fans? <laughs> 
Do you think the devil planned it out that that would happen on a Sunday? Isn't it interesting? Some of the greatest things, the greatest, um, I'll say the greatest creations in the sense of sports and television, some of these things come on on Sundays. You know, it plays out. I, I remember uh, a couple years ago, we are home on a Sunday evening, and, and um, we were flipping through the channels, and this one um, picture caught our eye because it had this apple, and it looked like Adam and Eve, and this white picket fence, and, and uh, so we, were, we had to watch it. So we were intrigued, and we watched it, and it, it was this horrible uh, depiction of, of life and women and home, and it was this, this show called Desperate Housewives. I don't know if anybody's ever seen it, uh, but it happens to be on Sunday. So I thought it was really interesting because it happens to be a day of corporate worship traditionally that we go and we actually sacrifice time, we sacrifice life, we sacrifice relationship, we sacrifice business, we sacrifice job to worship, to glorify, to desire the presence of God in our life and us to love Him. You get the picture so far? So this can play out in many different ways. It's it's in short, we give our time, our energy, our body, our money, our focus, our devotion, passion to that which we glorify most and make sacrifices to worship that person or thing. And I think about money, too. Man, this has got to be a huge one. I think about this in so many different senses. Um, having a time in my life where I really dealt with this issue, where money was Lord, does money have you bounded up to the, the fact that you can't do anything in your life because you believe money is the only way to get it? You know, the economy is stressed. It's a continual media thing. I mean, if you turn on the TV or you read newspaper, you're hearing about loss of job or uh, difficulty because the economy is failing and our administration is failing us. And so it just gives us more things to feed our souls with to explore justification on our lives when it comes to money. <laughs> I call it... Um, this is the different tithing plan. So, you know, we talk about things like, you know, I don't get paid well, so, you know, we have to be careful with our budget. And so you become Lord over your budget, or you can become Lord over God's money. And <laughs> it, it turns out to be things like this. Well, you know, I know we're not doing well in the household, and, and we're just making it by, but those boots look really good, and so I have to have them. And so you sacrifice God's first fruits, or maybe family's first fruits, or the Lord in your life, or the desire of having these fresh, pretty boots. I say this to you because I've participated in all these things too. Not to say going out and purchasing a pair of boots is a sin, but as an example, understand who is the Lord in your life. Now, what are you glorifying today? Because we're built to continually and ceaselessly outpour love and worship. I mean, we are built in the likeness of God who is continually worshiping. So you are continually worshiping. You're worshiping in this moment. You will worship later. You will worship every day. Who are you worshiping? Is your tithe plan, you know, Jack for Jesus? Is your giving example... Well, <laughs> I'm going to give to myself because God isn't giving to me. That plays out as punishment, you know? I think of the peacemaker skills. First, it's a desire, and it's a demand, and it's a judgment, and it's a punishment, right? 
And so, are you punishing God? Your belief is that you can control your finances, that you have something to do with it, that if you spend in your own way, you will get what you want, and God doesn't want to bless you. Well, I believe it's a lie. I mean, it's, it's, it's a biblical lie. It's an, it's an understanding of real doctrine and understanding that this thing is practical. The Bible is real, and it lives out in your life. Now, we have to participate in that, and it's through worship. <laughs> so do you get the picture? We're continuously worshiping, Worship is glory and sacrifice. And so what are we glorifying? What have we put in the position of glory? What is our passion? What is our, our, our never-ending idol? Our desire? Because we will sacrifice for it. It's, it's inevitable. It's, it's a natural instinct of the flesh. And if, if you have that, that stronghold, that difficulty, whether it's, it's, uh, it's... And it can be the simple things. It's not these big, huge sins that we learn about through our parents or through media or through the Bible, you know, the Ten Commandments list. It's the things that get in the way of your relationship with Jesus Christ because they always get in the way with all your other relationships because they are held on a proverbial altar. They're held up high. And what you're slaughtering are the relationships, maybe your job, maybe your spiritual life in general, because you are worshiping. So another definition of this is found from the Harold Best book, who says, uh, simply like this, Best says, I have worked out a definition for worship that I believe covers every possible human condition. It is this. Worship is the continuous outpouring of all that I am, all that I do, and all that I can ever become in light of a chosen God and choosing God. So this brings us to idolatry. I think back when I was a, a real immature Christian, just becoming to, to know the Lord, and we had these really cool pictures in, in, in Sunday school of um, people that idled things. You know? And so those that practiced in idolatry. And it was like these, um, I remember like these weird voodoo-type masks, you know, and these like uh, grass skirts type thing, and they had this uh, golden calf, and they're, you know, waving, and, singing and chanting over this golden calf. And so I had this picture of all my life of, uh, that's what idolatry is, the golden calf. <laughs> but the Bible displays it differently. It's, it's much more subtle. It isn't in this, this large picture of, of saying, okay, uh, it's hard to miss a big golden calf. So do you still have idols? Um, growing up, I had this Hindu friend, and it was really neat, really neat experience to, to digest some of the culture. I remember walking into his house one time, and uh, right, right as you enter, there's kind of this pathway, this walkway right to this table. Around this table were four chairs. Um, and then on the table, there were these candles, these lit candles, and, um, and this funny-looking figure right on the table. And so these candles illuminated this figure, and, and uh, I asked him about it, and, and he said, well, this is where we pray. It's a it's, it's, a, uh, um, it's a place, an altar, it's a shrine uh, for us to come and worship and pray and, and talk to our God. And I remember laughing to myself. I thought it was kind of funny that they would worship this tiny little plastered object created from a, you know, some, somebody that manufactured this thing and bought it for, from the store for 5 or $6, and they were worshiping this. So um, I was thinking about this the other day, and I remember my home life, and going into the house, and we kind of had the same thing. Uh, it's American culture, in a sense, 
um, you went into our living room, and we had the couches, and we had the chairs, and they were all pointed into our particular God, which was the TV. <laughs> you know that there are more TVs in the United States than our people at this time. So you think about idols, think about it, think about it in that way. You know, think about it in that way, uh, and how it denom- uh, dominates our philosophy and our own spirituality. Uh, idolatry is one of the most frequent and most uh, frequently misunderstood images in all Scripture. When thinking of this, um, you have to think in the subtle manners that it applies to your life. Uh, the Bible speaks of it as corrupt worship in contrast with true worship. And so, what is true worship? Glorification and sacrifice to a living God, that is Jesus Christ, versus a corrupt worship, which plays out in all of these different roles. Romans 1.25 says, They exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. God is our creator, and our worship is to be directed to him, as, uh, him alone, not the creature or the creation. God has created all. It's through him that creation is made. Um, and, and a lot of times we focus on those, those different things that really get us off tune. One is uh, the human body. I thought about this in my own life. There was a time that I was a fitness nut, a fitness nut, and it was necessary for me to work out three times a day. Necessary. If I didn't do it, I was going to be fat. I was going to be huge. If I didn't do it three times a day, because I was worshiping the creature or the creation versus the God the creator. Spent my time in the gym working out because the physique had to be good because I thought the physique was God. This plays out in different forms too. You know, this can be human sexuality in general. Um, You know, how do you judge people? On the basis of their creation. If God has created all, we're to be worshiping God. Our focus is to glorify Him and give sacrifice to Him. How is our judgment placed with individuals and how they're made up and how they look and how we look? <sighs> so this led me to hard questions. You know, and the hard questions, and I hope because I love you, that you can process too or take home and think about this as we we digest some of these things. How can I find my idols? As a general rule, it is easier to see the idols in someone else's life than ours. It's always easier to see what's wrong with someone else versus really look deep and look within ourselves. Say, you know, what's wrong with me? Uh, the, the main reason is because we tend to seek out simple comforts and, and we, we justify all of these things in our lives as comforts and, and, and aids and, and things that get us by versus sin or idolatry, you know, like the food. Eating is not a sin. We have to eat, right? It's necessary. But when it becomes Lord, when your desires are drawn to it, when, when you can't get past the day because you're thinking too much about what you're going to have for dinner, or that your whole week is destined by the fact that on Saturday you're going to the beach. Lord, if you can let me go to Daytona this weekend and enjoy the sand 
in the warm, radiant sun so I can have a fine tan. I will work good for you today. Idolatry is by far the most frequently discussed problem in the scriptures. This is because idolatry is the root that nourishes every fruit, fruit of sin. So uh, idolatry is the root, and the fruit are those things, okay? Um, when we're looking for the idol, we have to dig deep for the roots. We can't water ski, we can't surf, can't ice skate around the simple things like alcohol, pornography, a bad relationship. It becomes an issue saying, oh, my wife's not a very good wife. She's the problem. Versus, no, I think I have a worship problem. In 1 John, he sums up the entire book. And it's really neat. If you haven't read 1 John, go through it. There's some great information that goes directly to a Christian right in there. And he sums up the end of it by saying, keep yourselves from idols. I think he says this because this is how we live in victory over temptation and sin in general. As if we can avoid idols, we don't really have to worry about sin. Matter of fact, we don't even have to worry about the nature of the law because we're too full of joy from glorifying God and actually lifting him up and worshiping him continually, sacrificing for God continually, that we don't have to focus on the law. You're no longer worried about breaking the adultery law. No, worry, no longer worried about stealing because you're too full of God. Because of your love there and your place here, you're not worried about the other. So ask yourself these questions. As we pull these up, there's going to be a bunch. And so these are going to be tough. I examine this many different ways in my own life, and I'm telling you right now it's tough. So please, please just do so. Take notes if you need to and examine this this week, this month, this year. What or who are your external idols? So we're talking about environmental idols. Not your heart or what we would call the heart. Not inside in your spirit, but what is around you in your neighborhood. Who, what is my Lord that rules over my life determining how I live? Wow. Wow. Who or what is my Lord that rules over my life determining how I live? This goes to those particular addictions. This can go into many different things. This could be your job. Does your job determine how you live? Is your job keeping you away from your family? Is your job keeping you away from your, lot, your wife? Um, more importantly, is your job so full that it's taking away your time to do devotion with God? And you think about it like this. Um, is your devotion as simple as this? Well, I work 80 hours a week, Thomas. What do, what do you mean? Have time for God? Have time in the morning? I, I do. I open up my Bible, and I kind of do this. <laughs> I'm full today. And I say this because I love you, and I say this because I've done it, okay? There's nothing up here that I can reveal to you that I haven't done. I am flawed. I am flawed. And most of you probably already know that. And I hope you do. If not, you'll find out. So 
Who or what is your lure? This is either someone or something. Man, I thought about this deeply. It could be your children. It could be your husband. It could be your wife. Obviously, your job, your boss can be the addictions that play out that are governing your lifestyle, governing, governing your relationship with Christ. Who, what is my judge? I am living to earn the approval of, wow. <laughs> this was a tough one for me um, because I'm, I'm a people pleaser, okay? And a lot of times it plays out to be, man, I really want that person to feel good and I really want to help them. But what does that say? Too worried about earning the approval of the individual. Could this be your boss? So the question you ask yourself, did I do enough to win my boss's approval today? Did I work just enough that my boss is okay and my job is secure? Or did I, did, did my wife happy? You know, if mom ain't happy, nobody's happy type thing. I think I've actually used that before, so I'm taking it away now because it's not true. Are your children happy? Because if they're happy, your wife's happy, your boss is happy, then that's all you have to do. Because you're seeking the approval of your wife or your husband or your boss or your children, your neighbor. Oh man, this can play deep. Instead of the approval of the one that we should worship, the only one that we should sacrifice for to that level and obey, which is God. And this can handicap you in so many different ways. When you're not hearing the voice of God, and you're not devoting your life to God, and you're not worshiping God in full, you will always trade it out and always sacrifice for the latter. And you won't experience that joy. Showing God glory, you will receive joy. So what or who is your judge that you're living to earn the approval of? Where do you give your first fruits of your wealth? This is usually not a comfortable subject for any pastor that I've met to talk about when it comes to wealth or money because there always ends up being this back to learning to live without the approval of others. So there's a fear generally about talking about money and you giving to the church or you giving to God's kingdom because it might sound, I might be afraid that it might sound that I want your money. Well, I don't want your money, but I believe God wants your heart. And so, can your heart be with your money? Can your treasure be with your finances? And who are you giving first fruits to? Let me explain that a little bit more. It's not fruit. It's not an apple. It's not an orange. Uh, symbolically speaking, your first of everything, and specifically in wealth, who does it go to? When you get that paycheck, where do you run for comfort? It's Friday, happy hour. It's the weekend. Macy's has a 60% off sale. Again, I, I, I give these to you because I love you. I give them to you because I'm processing them myself. I'm walking through them myself. I have to walk through them myself to be able to reveal my external idols. Is your tithing plan... Jack for Jesus. 
Or are you saying, you know what, I really believe that there is an existent living God today, breathing and relevant in my life, that I will give Him lordship of my finances, and I will believe that He will bless me with the rest. Where do you give your first fruits of your time? Well, this is a huge one. Anybody ever experienced the Five Love Languages by Gary Chapman? Great book. If you haven't read it, I, 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 would, I would recommend it for you. It, it goes through a, a variety of different um, ways that you display and you express love. And one of those in there was mine. It was quality time. And so this is a huge one for me, especially in how it's expressed. Is where, where do you give your time first? And I thought about this in a counseling session um, that I had recently with an individual, and they said, you know, Thomas, I'm having some hardship in my family, some difficulty in my relationships. I said, okay, what do you think it is? And he said, well, you know, my job really, really is taking a lot out of me. I work 70, 80 hours a week, and I travel quite a bit. Um, and, it, you know, it's a lot. It's a lot for me. So, okay, how, how is it affecting you? Well, my wife isn't happy. My daughter isn't happy. Um, you know, these things are happening in my life, and I just don't understand how this plays out in my relationship with God. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the kingdom of God. I believe that there is a heaven. I just don't understand why this is a hardship. And he said, um, you know, what do you do with your free time? Well, often I don't have free time because when I have free time, I have to be on call because if they need me, they need to be accessible to me. Okay, what do you do with your vacation time? Well, when I go on vacation, I bring my phone, I bring my laptop because I have to be accessible. Well, how can you believe that if your first fruits are for your job, that you will ever be able to have a blessing from God upon your relationships that live out in your life? Maybe it's time to look for a different job. What people and things take the majority of your life? And what do you plan and pray for? I know a lot of you guys are planners. You're well organized. Unlike me where I'm more the person that has a plan on my head and it just never gets disseminated well, and never in a paper. And what do you pray for? Are you an individual that organizes so well, or plans so well, that if, if the plan doesn't take and it doesn't happen, you blame God. Okay, I've had this thing planned out for an entire month. It's going to happen this way. It's going to happen how I believe it is. And I believe it's going to happen in this order. It's got to happen this time. It's got to happen this way. I have it planned. I'm in control. How many of you had that experience and it has just fallen flat? Your time has had to be taken. And the whole thing that you planned just didn't even come out right. And what was your response? Who, what are your internal idols? Okay, so these are the ones that a lot of times we wrestle with and we never even see. They're not external. What false beliefs do you hold about God? Okay, this, this question can be asked to those that are Christian and those that are not a Christian at this time. And it's, it's a really important one to ask because as a Christian, I believe you go through a process sometimes or you can go through an experience when your worship isn't to God. Your worship is on things and possessions and someone or something that you forget to believe. And obviously, this is something that plays on a non-Christian's life because they're busy examining and, and looking into a Christian's life to see that as the model of Christ. And so how can they believe if this person's faulty? 
How can they believe that there's a living God when this person's no different than me? They just profess that there's a God in their life. However, they're doing the same things that I am. So what false beliefs do you hold about God? This goes into the other question, or the second question. Which part of Scripture do you deeply doubt or even disbelieve? Have you ever read this thing? And you, you walk along a page and you go, hmm, yeah, that one doesn't work for me. I mean, oh, this one about being blessed and, and prosperous sounds good. Ooh, yeah. Commissioned to go speak to those that don't know God, going to the four corners of the earth and expressing God's love. I don't know. Here's another one. Husbands. Love your wives, right? Love your wives. And here's what some of the expressions are, some of the remarks were. Um, Thomas, you don't know my wife. She's not like yours. Or, um, <laughs> it's not relevant for me. That's, that's old school stuff. Okay? Or, or wives, respect your husbands. And that's not relevant. You know, that, that's old. I don't really have to follow that pattern because, you know, you don't know my husband. He's a doofus. You ever seen that show, King of Queens? He's a Doug. Everybody loves Raymond. Man, you see some of these models on television, you go, whoa. Does this really play out? Yeah, it does because it's funny. Or it happens, that's why it's funny. It's, it's dramatic, maybe it's not. But why respect a doofus? Because you're in disbelief of what the Bible is telling us is relevant. Instead of trying to make Scripture relevant in your life, we should acknowledge that the Bible is the only thing relevant. Deep down in your heart, who, what do you love, cherish, treasure, long for the most? Deep down in your heart, who, what do you despise and hate the most? Who, what makes, or who, or what makes you happiest and why? Who or what makes you saddest, why? Who or what is your mediator between you and God? Who or what other than Jesus do you use to get closer to God? Wow, this is huge. I think of this as a church, and I, and I examine it here, of course, because I've been at other churches, and I've been cultured in a sense, and seeing it, how it's played out in this church. Do you realize, congregation, people, that you can't get closer to God through a guru, a Paul Cornwell or a Thomas Blevins or a Rob Rogers, or anyone that may be in this church that you see as a godly individual, a Christ follower, a seeker of the word, that you believe that you're going to get closer to God because you're closer to this person, it's a truth, it's, it, it's a lie. It's so far from the truth. Because we're all fallen, we're all failed, and the only way that you get closer to God is by being closer to Jesus. Who or what is taken from your life, or who or what, if taken from your life, would cause you to not walk as faithfully with God? That's a hard question for me. I love my wife. If my wife died, would I still bless his name? 
my daughter, oh, my precious daughter, if something happened to her and she became handicapped or ill, would I, would I still bless his name? You have to ask yourself that. If you were taken away as, as being a provider for, for your household right now, would you still bless his name? <clears throat> How do you define yourself, especially when introducing yourself to others? Where is your functional heaven? Not, the, the, this is the heaven that we paint, okay, versus uh, the one that's functional for us, the one that is practical that we can participate in. Not the heaven that's defined in the Bible. When daydreaming about escaping this life, what does your functional heaven look like, and how is it different from the real heaven? You know, like those magazines in the aisle, and you see a, you see a travel magazine, you see the beach, and you see the, the beautiful sun, and you go, wow, that looks like heaven. And then you go there, and you experience it, and the, the sun's too hot, the water's too salty, um, the, the, person, the, the couple from America that happens to be there, and you're the only English-speaking individuals, irritates you. All those things. It's, it's not heaven, right? It's, 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 it's this functional heaven that we've created. On earth, where do you run for your safety or comfort as your hiding place? It's the fridge, alcohol, television, a person, a place, or a hobby. Who or what is your functional savior? So I'd, I'd look at it like this. What is your picture of hell in this life? Because your heaven is always going to be opposite. If you're single... Being single is hell. Being married is heaven. Not having children. Heaven. Having children. So think of it this way. Okay, so it's, it's not as dramatic as saying this is, this, is, this is wrong, but to find your idols and really reveal this, think about it like this. Okay, God blesses you with children and they're handicapped. You've been waiting 19 years to have a child. You so desperately want to get out of that hell. And you're having his children, and he blesses you with a handicapped child. Are you blessed? Who or what do you use to save you from what you fear? Woo! A relationship, children, money, shopping, sex, etc. I'm not going to do that because I'm afraid my daughter will get hurt. What good thing has become a God thing? Which idols are in your life that when appreciated and or stewarded correctly are means of worship but have become objects of worship? So instead of this thing that God's created for us to steward, it becomes a mean like a house. Or when we use any type of visual here or the instruments up here, the means of worship become objects of worship. So we displace it from actually being a mean that we steward, and it becomes an object of control by us. So our work, family, health, relationship, pleasure, leisure, hobbies, etc. If you could obtain or change one thing or person in your life, what would that be? What idols am I selling to others? So I end this with, with a, a, really a closing, and we'll run out of time. Um, how to nurture this. And I, I think back in, in Exodus with Moses and Pharaoh, and the example that we have today that lives out, and that Jesus Christ has redeemed us from slavery as the same model in the Old Testament where God used Moses to have exodus from a horrible Pharaoh. And so he gave us the, the Ten Commandments and the law, 
And it's, it's interesting how this plays out because God tells us in the first two commandments, if they are obeyed, it will transform the rest of our life into opportunities to worship God with our desires, our relationships, our possessions, all of these things. So simply, if we worship God alone, we will not worship sex. We won't commit adultery. Uh, we, we won't worship possessions and commit thievery or covered, coveting. Uh, worshiping God will allow us to stop uh, worshiping perceptions of others and, and false witnessing these lies. Worship the unrighteous and anger and murder. Worship our job and never take rest in Sabbath. Uh, and so recently, I'd, I'd um, been part of a conference, and Rick Warren of uh, Purpose Driven Church called Saddleback in California had given us six stages of renewal, and I want to shoot through them real quick with you. This is, this, this is probably the one thing out of all of these questions that you'll examine in your life, and you probably experience and know the, the process and how to nurture this. And he gave us these six things for pastors to understand. I want to give them to you. The first is personal renewal. Simply put, love God. Everything begins with a renewed passion for Jesus Christ. Uh, think back of when you first had your relationship with Jesus Christ and the honeymoon experience that you had, and wanting everybody to know who that was. Wanting everybody to experience that love. Is it happening now for you? We have to take many Sabbaths. We have to pray. We have to read Scripture. We have to connect with Jesus Christ, and we have to understand that that comes first. We have to find those times, and we have to commit to that for personal renewal. Relational renewal. We have to love others. Once we have this personal relationship with Jesus Christ, the first effect, so the first expression will come out inevitably as love for others. We'll find new hope for people. We'll give grace to people we weren't able to give grace before. Missional renewal. We will love the mission. We will love to be around each other. We will be passionate about living this mission out through the local church. We will stay after church. We will talk to people. We will go to lunch. We will participate in groups. Man, can you experience that fruit? Church renewal. We will love brothers and sisters unconditionally. And when we are in worship through singing, we will sing loudly we will express it in many different ways, and it will be evident. Structural renewal and institutional renewal. So I ask the worship team to come up. I just want you to think about these different things in your life and how you may be creating a culture of worship in your life, because you are, regardless if you know it, regardless if you've been told it, we are built to be ceaseless in worshiping someone or something. So today I pray that you are able to see and God is able to reveal what needs to change in your life to begin this path of personal renewal. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for your word. I thank you for what you've done for us how you've created us and the likeness of you to ceaselessly worship you. And I just ask that you continue to teach us, continue to allow us to understand more of what that is, so that we can be more like you and glorify you and experience joy in you this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.